as we come to consider our Lord Jesus Christ and his wonderful saving work on Calvary's cross. Oh Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive these things. And Lord, we do pray especially for those in our midst who have not yet come to seek thee and find thee. Oh Lord, we pray that thou would this would be a day of salvation, that thou would visit them with thy salvation. Lord, we love thy word, we love the gospel, we are not ashamed of it, and we come now anticipating a blessing. We thank thee that we serve thee, the mighty God and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, be pleased now to come by the power of thy Spirit and bless our waiting souls. We ask all these petitions in the name of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his sake. Amen. Let's sing our first hymn, hymn number 390. Hymn number 390. Jesus, where thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat.
turning now in the Word of God to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. A Psalm of David. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me, while I was musing the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct a man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee, and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength, before I go hence, and be no more. May the Lord grant us a blessing from the reading of his word. Let's continue in our worship, singing our second hymn, based on Psalm 19, hymn number 331. Hymn number 331. The heavens declare thy glory, Lord.
again in the Word of God to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and reading from verse 1. Matthew chapter 5 and reading from verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you. And shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. May the Lord again grant us a blessing from the reading of his inspired word. Let's pray together. Our merciful and loving Heavenly Father, O Lord, we thank thee for the eternal privileges which are ours through our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we acknowledge that Thou alone art the sovereign ruler over all, and indeed the heavens, this cosmos, which cannot be fathomed by the human mind, the stars in their courses above. O Lord, when we consider these things and the marvels of Thy creation, O Lord, these things declare so clearly thy majesty thy glory thy infinite power and wisdom and O lord we marvel that thou should reveal thyself to us through thy word and even more so that the savior should come the lord jesus christ the son of the living god in the fullness of time that he should come from his throne in glory on that exceedingly costly mission O lord we are ever amazed with the angels that the Son of God should humble himself even unto death, the death of the cross, that he, sh he came and was spat upon and crucified and humiliated. He was cursed that countless souls would be blessed and forgiven and put on that road to glory. O oh Lord, we thank thee for such a salvation as this. We thank thee for this glorious plan of salvation and we who are recipients of such grace, O oh Lord, we ever thank Thee for that everlasting love, that love that apprehended us, that love that was set upon us before the foundation of the world. And O oh Lord, we, as Thy blood-bought children, we come to Thee this morning, O oh Lord, 
not only with thanksgiving and praise, but, O oh Lord, with a desire, an earnest desire to see others also gathered into thy kingdom in these last days. Lord, we do pray for the gospel, and we do pray, Lord, that even this Lord's Day as it is preached in every faithful church and chapel up and down this land, that thou be pleased by the power of thy Holy Spirit to work in hearts, to bring men, women and children under conviction of sin wherever thy gospel is faithfully preached by thy servants, preachers, Sunday school teachers, Lord grant them that unction, that blessing from above Lord we do as thy people stand in the gap in the society we see O oh Lord evil gathering, making greater advances in high places in our government and different sectors of society Lord thou hast commanded us to intercede on behalf of the nation and we do, do so Lord gladly and yet with sorrow, sorrow in our hearts Lord for we were no different than those who do not know thee and despise thee Lord it is only because of thy grace that we are who we are that we love thee and we plead with thee gracious Lord that thou would have mercy on many more we think of the rising generation O oh Lord, so ignorant of the pending judgment, ignorant of that eternal lake of fire which is reserved for those who despise Thee, for those who, O oh Lord, do not come to Thee for forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we plead with Thee that Thou would in these days pour out Thy Spirit in mighty power and bless Thy servants everywhere, wherever Thy word is faithfully opened and loved and preached and the gospel is expounded, O oh Lord, grant thy blessing, and bring more people into the house of God. O oh Lord, we think of so many indifferent to thee, and Lord, we do pray, even through these times of catastrophe and unrest in the world, O oh Lord, we do think of the war at the present time in Ukraine, and we think of the distress, and we pray for those people O oh Lord, whose lives are being up, turned upside down and those who fear for their lives, Lord, we do pray that Thou would, if it please Thee, bring an end to these atrocities and grant help and deliverance and rescue for those who are in distress and those who are troubled and those, O oh Lord, who are, um, who are in danger. And we pray particularly for Thy people in these places. Lord, protect them, bless them, guide them. And we pray, Lord, that Thou would even use such dangers and such times of unrest, O oh Lord, to humble many people, to cause people to realize how unstable and how unreliable this fallen world is. And, O oh Lord, we pray that Thou would use these judgments to humble hearts and cause people to realize, O oh Lord, that the only, only in Jesus Christ there is true security, there is everlasting life, O oh Lord, Thou art the God who does not change, nor do Thy promises. And we pray that even in such times of darkness and unrest in the world, that the light of the gospel may shine with a greater ardor than before, and that many people may see that great and living hope and come to the light. Bless Thy servants everywhere. And Lord, we even pray for this present service. Lord, we pray for those in our midst, Lord, who have may have not known thee, never come to know thee, never seen the wonders of grace, Lord, never have sought thee and found thee, maybe sitting under the ministry for many years and yet unmoved 
by the gospel of grace. Oh Lord, we do pray that even in this present service, Thou would, oh Lord, by Thy irresistible call of grace, break through that stubbornness, that resistance, that, oh Lord, determination of depending upon the things of this world or living for self, melt through the pride, break down these barriers, Lord, and help those who are in darkness, those who are outside of Christ, O oh Lord, that they may see the danger they're in, they may see how wonderful the salvation is, and then they may flee to Christ for refuge. Lord, we pray for thy blessing, for the mighty unction of the Spirit as we come to consider our Saviour and his glorious saving work on Calvary's cross. Lord, be pleased to melt hearts, even in our midst. Lord, we bring these petitions to thee, and we ask that thou would be pleased to come now and bless us as we look to thy truth. Lord, thy word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray now, Lord, for thy blessing upon it, that it may not return to thee void, but thou would grant much fruit, even among thy people and those who are yet strangers to grace. Lord, we pray all these petitions in the name of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for his glory. Amen. Let's come to our third hymn, singing our third hymn, hymn number 196. Hymn number 196. All ye that pass by to Jesus draw nigh.
turning now in the word of God to the gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, and reading from verse 1. <clears throat> Matthew, chapter 5, and reading from verse 1, the first three verses. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And my title for this morning's message is What Genuine Faith Looks Like. Genuine Faith. Well, this is clearly seen in these verses before us, these well-known Beatitudes. This is the, I'm sure you know, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Well, it used to be very famous. It used to be very well-known. It has shaped Western society. It has shaped the world over, not only the Sermon on the Mount, of course, but the Scriptures. But this is such a, this is the greatest sermon in world history. There is nothing like it. Uh, it is so profound, it is so, it is so rich in its spiritual application. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ had, uh, the previous night, he had spent the night in prayer. And in the morning he uh, chose his disciples, the twelve disciples, their official uh, choosing of the twelve. And then after that, there was, he performed mer- m- many, many miracles during the day. He healed many people of leprosy and all manner of sicknesses and also delivered many from demonic possession. And after this, he, there was this uh, very well-known sermon. And it starts off with these beatitudes. And here are the hallmarks of genuine faith. Genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the spiritual DNA of every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If these beatitudes are not a part of my experience, then the faith that I profess is not genuine. And really, this is one of the primary applications of, it's not the only one, but it's one of the primary applications of this passage, the beatitudes. This is a spiritual DNA of those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. When God works in a sinner's life, the change, the change in their life is so great, it is so massive, that they no longer think and behave. Their thinking is totally different. They view life in a totally different way. And their behavior is so incredibly different that they are now, they they no longer think according to how this world thinks, and they no longer behave how how the, the world people have different lifestyles and they, uh, people, there's a variety of ways in which people conduct themselves in this world, but generally speaking, people think and behave in a certain way um, according to this world. But when I'm, cha- when I'm forgiven by my Creator, not only am I forgiven, but I'm changed. It's, it's obvious that I've been, God has intervened in my life and I'm changed in my understanding. I'm now a stranger in this world and I'm now a citizen of heaven. This is the miracle of grace at work in the hearts of those who come to seek and find the Lord for themselves. But before we see 
what genuine faith looks like, we've got to consider the, the sad reality, and I think this is important, the sad reality of what counterfeit faith looks like, because there's plenty of it around today. Uh, there was, there's always been uh, a counterfeit faith in every age. In fact, uh, more, especially uh, in the Victorian age, there was a very, there's, uh, there was a, uh, very much a Christian society, and uh, many people loved the Lord, but there was also plenty of people who went to church out of duty. They didn't really have a hold on God. So counterfeit faith, what does that look like? Well, firstly, it bases its standing on, on the, concerning God on, on the things that they do, on good works. And they, they believe that God is gracious and he's forgiving, but a part of their thinking and understanding is, well, by the good things I do, by my charitable giving, by my regular church attendance, these things also are commendable to God. But the truth is, nothing we do is commendable to God. And that's why Christ had to come. And people who have counterfeit faith, it hasn't fully dawned. They don't realize that they're on sinking sand. Anything that they do, well, anything that our best efforts are incapable of earning any favor with our Creator. But then there's another, another great misunderstanding that those who do not truly know the Lord have, and that is they have a very casual attitude concerning doctrine concerning the doctrines of grace and the doctrines concerning how we can uh, salvation it's very casual and vague let me explain and I've spoken to people like this and I'm sure those who are who know the Lord they've encountered this as well where a person may be going to uh, church one week and then they go to another church they go to an evangelical church the next week and you speak to them and they'll say something along these lines. Well, I was, in this ca- I was in this cathedral the other week, and when the sun shone through the stained glass windows, and then I smelt the, in- the burning of the incense, and there was the, uh, the uh, clergy, the procession of the clergy in all their regalia, and I felt the presence of God when I experienced these things and, and the size of the cathedral and the paintings and all of these things. I was so moved by these things. But then we challenge them. Well, what about the Mary worship? This rank idolatry. What about the teaching of... Uh, what about the emphasis of works? Doesn't that contradict that uh, salvation is by grace alone and the, attending, the attendance of the Mass being uh, essential to salvation? And that Christ is crucified afresh every time you have a mass. What about these things? Oh, it doesn't matter about those. It's how I felt, you see. And I've spoken to people like who say these things. They, they've had such a, a, a wonderful experience in these places. And they easily dismiss these doctrines which are essential to salvation. I can easily dismiss these things based on my mystical experience that I had in the, in the worship. Well, I'm sorry to say this. That if, that is, that if that is the case... If that is the case, then my faith isn't real. It's not genuine. It's counterfeit. It's not real. If I can easily dismiss these doctrines of grace based on my mystical experience, my faith is not real. It's counterfeit. There are so many ways we can deceive ourselves. Uh, I I used to be in a a position as well when I professed Christ, but I wasn't a true believer. Uh, And there are many people in this category as well, where they appreciate they appreciate the culture of Christianity. They, they love coming to church. They love mingling with God's people. They love 
the fact that they're such a warm community. They love the culture of church life. They love the blessings that come with the biblical ethics of Christianity. And they can see the logic the logic and the, and the clarity of the Christian worldview. But they've never actually personally come to Christ for forgiveness. They've never had that crisis experience in their life when they, they see themselves as desperate sinners needing salvation. There are many people in this category. They've never, never sincerely repented of their sin. They've never encountered God on a personal level. So, I mean, I could speak so much more about this, about the disaster and the tragedy of, of counterfeit faith. But we, we move to our main topic this, uh, this morning, and that is the hallmarks, the evidences of true saving grace in these wonderful Beatitudes. And I start on verse 3. Blessed, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now here's, here's the irony. Everyone is spiritually bankrupt. No one, peop, no one, we in and of ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing in and of ourselves to offer to God which would be pleasing to Him. But only those who are poor in spirit realize this. They come to an understanding when someone seeks the Lord and God is moving in their heart. They realize for the first time that there is nothing commendable I can offer to God. I'm a hell-deserving sinner and I'm I'm spiritually destitute. And and they realize this for the first time and in panic they they, they flee to the Lord. They they, the, their, the grace of God becomes irresistible. They're, they run to Christ. Now, my question is, is this, has this happened to you? Have you encountered this experience when you realize that there is nothing you can do to earn salvation? You are spiritually bankrupt. It's only those who are poor in spirit who realize this, and they flee to the Lord for forgiveness and mercy. But I, I can't dwell long on each beatitude. We must be swift. Look at verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Why are these people mourning? They don't mourn 24-7. They're not always in the dumps and, and cast down, but uh, uh, they do mourn. Christians do mourn, but why are they mourning? Why are they sad? Well, it's because of my sin. I've, uh, I'm, I'm profoundly aware that I'm, I, I have a deep problem with sin. Why is this? Why does this happen? Because if I'm a true, if I'm a true believer, God inhabits me by His Spirit. I have God's Spirit dwelling in me, and the light is switched on, and I can, I can now see the hideous nature of my sin, and I'm deeply troubled by it. I feel dreadful when I have, when I feel proud, when sometimes I might, I might exaggerate my achievements to other people, or um, I'm unnecessarily kind, or unkind or irritable and I'm deeply troubled by these things as a Christian and I'm cast down and I, I'm longing for a moment where I can unburden my soul before the Lord in prayer and that's an evidence of grace if I'm cast down and troubled and sorrowful for my sin because whom the Lord loves he chastises I'm his child, I belong to him and he's promised to discipline me and because he loves me and to prepare me for heaven and to make me a better Christian. It's an evidence of grace. Have you ever been at the foot of the cross weeping over your sin? You haven't? 
then you're not a true believer. This, so you see, these are marks of grace, Beatitudes. You read these Beatitudes, and these are marks of true saving faith. Listen to this. Blessed are they, is that, they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, I've failed thee. Oh Lord, forgive me of my foolishness, my pride, my selfishness. I confess my sin to thee, and I'm comforted. God, by his Spirit, reminds me of his promises. I, even I, have blotted out your transgressions and the many wonderful promises of Scripture. I'm comforted. Despite my foolishness and sin, God has forgiven me, and I'm on my way to heaven. But if I'm never troubled over my sin, if these things don't bother me, there's no comfort for me. There's no comfort that one day I'll be with him in heaven. There's no comfort that I'm a forgiven man or woman. Has this, just, has this been your experience? So, it's important that we ask these questions. And then we come to the beatitude of meekness. Blessed are they, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness in a believer is seen in how a Christian deals with the many injustices and provocations against, against her, him or her in life. People can be unreasonable, and Christians sometimes experience this in the place where they are, where they're, they're targeted and they're made fun of, and they are um, harassed in different ways. But yet they they take it on the cheek. They're very gracious. They the way in the way, the way in which they deal with these injustices and provocations, uh, as one commentator puts it, it is submissive. It is submissiveness and the provocation and a willingness to suffer than rather to inflict injury. And that's something that doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we demand our rights. I want to stand up for my rights. I must have this. I must have that. Um, but when I'm saved, when God works in me by His Spirit, I become me. And I'm willing to uh, suffer these things so that I might, might have opportunity to witness and bring repro reproach upon the faith. It's a work of grace. It's by no means a, na a natural uh, thing that we have as human beings. So, and, and there's a wonderful incentive for why we are meek, which I'll explain in, in another beatitude, because there's the same reason in another beatitude, which we'll cover in a, in a moment, the same motive for why we are meek as believers in Christ. But then we turn to the next beatitude in verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. See, initially, when God starts to work in my heart and I, I'm seeking Him and I repent of my sin, I, realize, I come to realize for the first time and continually as a Christian that my good works can never qualify me for Him. It doesn't matter how good they are in my own sight or the eyes of the world. There's all my efforts, they're always tainted with some kind of sin, whether it be my good works, my charitable giving with pride perhaps. So all of my, all, even my efforts as a Christian um, can never qualify me for heaven. I realize, I'm, I realize that I'm polluted with sin, every department of my being. And as someone seeking the Lord, I long to be forgiven, I long, I long to know God's forgiveness. But not only this, but I also long to be changed. And this is such an important part of true seeking after the Lord and being a Christian. Not only do I desire to be forgiven by my God and to be given heaven, but I long to be like Him. I long to be changed. 
I, I'm born and pine and thirst as someone who is seeking the Lord and someone who becomes a Christian. The process doesn't end. I long to be more like my Savior. Oh, how I wish I could overcome this besetting sin. I hunger and thirst for more righteousness. Oh, to be more like my Lord. There's so many professing, so many Christians who profess Christ, but they know, have no appetite for a new life. They have no appetite for holiness. They have no appetite to, to be changed. That is not genuine faith. That is dead faith. It's dead. And there are many people like this who live a completely worldly life, who have no regard for the Lord, who maybe come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day and they completely forget about Him the rest of the week. That's dead faith. That's not living faith. But those who are true believers, they're always hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Oh, to be more like the Savior. Oh, to love Him more. There's that hungering and thirsting. And there's always that self-examination. It's, it's true saving faith. But then we come down to the verse 7, the next beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's easy. It's so much easier for believers to be gracious and merciful to others and to bear meekly with, their, with the many reproaches and the provocations of others in the workplace and in the world. It's so much easier than how it used to be when I wasn't a Christian. Why is this the case? In the light of what God has forgiven me. And this is the same motive as the, uh, uh, as the meekness Christians have when God injects that new nature into us. It's so much easier to forgive, to forgive others, to be gracious and merciful to others because I reflect on what God has forgiven me in my past life, how I've spurned him, how I've hated him, and I realize that God, who is, the in, who is the injured party, he has initiated grace for a wretched individual like me, and even as a Christian, how long he bears with me, how long, how long suffering he is to my waywardness and my many failings. And so in the light of what God has done for me, the massive debt that he has paid and the patience and the gentleness and how he cares for me, how can I harbor grudges and how can I harbor bitterness towards others in the light of what God has done for me? And that's a mighty incentive for Christians. And they find it relatively easy to be gracious and to forgive others and to um, be merciful in light of what God has done for them. If I'm someone who, who holds grudges against others and refuses to forgive, even when they come asking for forgiveness, and I harbor bitterness in my, in my heart against others, well, according to this beatitude, I don't have saving grace. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It's a work of grace in the heart, in light of what God as my Savior has done for an undeserving sinner like me. Oh, I long, I long that others may receive the same mercy. Even my neighbor, perhaps, who treats me with contempt, or I'm not speaking personally, but some people, I've known Christians who've lived with very unreasonable and unkind neighbors who even do things to provoke them, and yet they maintain such a gracious testimony, and they, they are polite, and they're courteous, and they and they pray for them. That's a work of grace. That's not natural. We would never do that in our natural state. It's a, it's a mighty work of grace in the heart. But look at this intriguing, this next beatitude. It's so, so uh, intriguing. How many people, well, 
I wonder if you know what is meant by this. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, let me explain it in the following way. Those who do not have God's grace operating in their lives, those who have not received God's grace into their hearts, who have not been radically changed by the grace of God, they're only concerned about the outward appearance, how they come across on the outside. So if I embarrass myself, husband, wife, or someone, I lose my temper in front of my children, husband, wife screaming, shouting, having a fit, and then the children start sobbing and crying, and I realized I've been a, a complete fool and very foolish and I feel embarrassed and I feel troubled about my sin. Or there's many other instances where we can embarrass ourselves in public and we can feel dreadful about it. Well, that can happen to anyone. But if I'm someone who's pure in heart in, and I have grace in my heart and I have the Lord in my life, not only am I troubled by the outward sins, but I'm deeply troubled about the secret sins that no one else can see. I'm troubled about my pride. Or I have, maybe on a rare occasion, I have bouts of envy or jealousy. Or these other secret sins that don't, other people don't see. And I'm troubled by these things and God convicts me. It, see, the, the, the great concern of those who are God's children is not what other people think, but what God thinks. What does God think about this sin? And that's what it is to be pure in heart. So, so people, people who are only concerned about the sins they commit in front of others and they feel embarrassed and ashamed, that's not true repentance. That's not true contrition. But it's only those who are deeply concerned about what God thinks. My main concern is what God thinks about this, this wretched sin of mine. And that's what it means to be pure in heart. And that's only that only really happens when God works his wonderful work, work of grace in my life. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. But then we turn to the next beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, for they shall be called the children of God. For the sake of not bringing reproach upon the faith, uh, those who are God's children, they are willing to suffer many reproaches for the Saviour. They are willing to not be contentious, even, may, even though sometimes, supposedly, they're there, they have the right to be contentious and stand up for their rights. I'm willing to be reproached. I'm willing to be buffeted. Uh, I'm willing to bear long with others to maintain peace. But that's not the primary... Uh, that's not the primary reason, or that's not the primary explanation here of uh, God's children being peacemakers. It is, it is a lesson we learn here, but the primary reason is the, peace, the peacemaking that they are doing is sharing the gospel. They have a burden to share the message with others. They're deeply troubled about their colleagues, their friends who are on their way to hell. They're troubled by these things. They're peacemakers. Peace, the, 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 the greatest peace, the, the, the ultimate peace that we need is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, His reconciling love. That is the greatest peace. That is the only true peace this world needs. And those who are peacemakers, those who are the Lord's, they want, they pray for others, and they ask God for opportunities of witness. Of course, we as Christians, we can backslide, and, and, this, and 
we can be unconcerned for the loss. And it's very sad, sad when it happens. But um, it's, a work, it's a work of grace when I'm burdened for lost souls. And, I, and I'm, I'm a peacemaker. I pray to the Lord for opportunities of witness. But here's the paradox. Those who are peacemakers, they will experience no end of trouble and difficulty for their message of peace. And that brings me to my next beatitude. Blessed, so there's a paradox there. Peacemakers experience a great deal of trouble because they are peacemakers, because they want to spread the message of peace. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So you see the order. It's, it's inspired by the Spirit of first, the Spirit of God. The peacemakers then su- suffer trouble. The next beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, and then blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake as a result of their stand for the Lord. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we learn here in, in the 10th verse, because up until this point you may be tempted to think Christians are just doormats. You can walk all over them. Um, uh, but that's not the case. And, and verse 10 and 11 and 12 make it clear that we're not doormats. Concerning the, 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 our faith, we will, by God's grace and by his mighty power, most of the time we will stand firm. We love these things and we're willing to stand for these things. And we're willing to, well, there are many Christians at this present time, even in the, even in the West, who are willing to lose their jobs, who are willing to part with their jobs because of their stand, you know, what's happening now with all this new morality coming in uh, into the medical sector and different parts of society and Christians are losing their jobs and they're willing to do so. They will not budge. Uh, They love their Savior, they love their Lord and they're willing to be persecuted, they're willing to be sidelined, they're willing to be mocked and derided and called all manner of things for the sake of their Lord. They're not doormats. They have nerves of steel. Um, and this is, again, this is a work of grace. It doesn't come naturally. Naturally, we give in. We, we, we are conformed to the pattern and the way of thinking of this world. It's a mighty work of grace in the heart when those who do stand for the Lord, and it's, a, it's evidence that the Lord is with them, and He is here, and He belongs, that they belong to Him. They're His children. But here's a question. Why? Why the persecution? Why are Christians? Why are believers in Christ? Persecuted. Well, because there's such a stark contrast between those who are believers in Christ and those who are not. The gulf, the difference between children of God and those who are in the kingdom of darkness, and there's no mid- there's no middle area. You're either in the kingdom of Satan or you're, or you're in the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who are truly saved, they are so different. And they don't rebuke the world. They don't say to the world, you are wretched, undeserving sinners. But their very conduct and their very deportment and the, their life they live is a rebuke to the world. Christians are the world, the church, the true believing church, is the world's conscience. And they hate it. They can't stand the testimony of believers. They can't stand the fact that they go to church on Sunday. Or when a person asks you, what are you doing on the weekend? And you say, I'm, I'm, well, I'm preparing for the Lord today. And outwardly, but they despise it. Well, most people do. The world hates Christ. The world hates their creator. It's taught in the scripture everywhere. 
the Lord Jesus Christ says in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. But we understand and we believe that it's the greatest privilege to suffer for our Savior. He suffered for us an indescribable agony on Calvary's cross that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And so this is a light affliction compared to what he did for our undeserving souls. And it's the evidence that we're his if we're willing to stand with him, we're willing to suffer for his name's sake. Well, all these beatitudes are an insight into what God does when he forgives someone. He forgives a man or a woman. These are the marks of grace in that person's life. Is this your experience? I've been looking through these things very briefly this morning, and maybe they make no sense to you. Like, I've never experienced this. This sounds so strange. I've never experienced these things. Then, according, according to what the, Bible, the, the scriptures teach, that's, you're not a true believer in Christ. I would urge you to reflect upon these things deeply and seek, and seek the Lord. The change, the work of grace in the sinner's life is so great. It's such a massive paradigm shift that we think so different to, work, to how the world thinks. And we behave in such a different way. It's a mighty work of grace. Well, maybe Satan may be whispering in your ear and he does this. He may be saying to you, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who, who weep. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You don't want to live a life like that. You don't want to lose your job. It's you don't want to potentially lose your job for this faith. You don't want to be mocked and laughed at. You don't want to be persecuted. You don't, you don't want to be sorrowful all the time. And he exaggerates these things. And he may be whispering these things in your ear. You don't want a life like this. But friends, the blessings far outweigh the difficulties. The blessings of being a child of God far outweigh the troubles and the persecutions and the conviction of sin, which is a healthy thing. It's, it's such a, being convicted by my sin. It's God, I'm becoming a better person. And the blessings and the sweet fellowship and the grace that I experience in the Christian life, you cannot compare it to anything else. But this is what Satan might be, might be suggesting to some friends this morning. I don't want to live a life like this, being persecuted, sorrowful. Well, let me give you an illustration. So, you're a parent with a very young child, a toddler, or baby that's a year old and you decide to you want to spend it you want to have a day out you want to rest you want to relax and you you leave the house with your wife and you leave the child you leave the baby there by itself and there, there, there's pills on the counter there's sharp knives in the kitchen and it's a toddler and uh, there you go you leave what parent what parent would do what parent in their right mind would do that leave a child a little toddler in the house maybe on a uh, and there's a balcony with, and, and they can climb over it they do, would never do that but this is what Satan does so you, if, you're, if you're not a child of God you have no spiritual parent and, and spiritually we behave like children we're toddlers spiritually we do not know how dangerous this world is spiritually we do not know that we're on our way to hell and we have no spiritual parent looking over looking, looking over looking, looking after us and Satan says you can do whatever you want this is your life you have freedom. You're not free. You're enslaved by my appetites and by him. And I don't realize that I don't have a spiritual parent looking after me. And my heart is growing ever more resistant towards my creator. And I'm heading towards a lost eternity without him. So ignore, don't believe Satan when he 
says to you that the life of a Christian is, is a wretched life, being persecuted. Yes, if you are persecuted, God will give you grace. And the joy and the spiritual experiences that Christians enjoy and the hope of glory these far outweigh the difficulties that Christians encounter. And a sinful life, dear friends, there may be times of enjoyment you're experiencing as a worldling, but the, the painful consequences of sin are far worse. So, lay these things to heart. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And that's what Satan does. He promises you so much, but his real motive is to destroy you. How can I be numbered among these people who are supremely blessed? Friends, God has made it so simple. He has, he has made it so exceedingly simple by sending his own son the Savior into this world. And everyone knows what happened on Calvary's cross. It's written into history. Even the most hardened atheist cannot deny the existence of the Lord Jesus Christ, although they deny what he says and what Christians believe. But he suffered and died on Calvary's cross according to all the prophecies of the, of the Old Testament which were fulfilled to the very letter. And on that cross, as he was suffering and bleeding and dying, he was bearing the full weight of punishment and hell for every sinner that comes to him for forgiveness. And this is what you have to do. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to him in prayer, believing that when he was on that cross, he was suffering and dying in your place. That I don't have to go to hell because he suffered my hell on that cross. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I believe that you died and suffered for a wretched sinner like me. Lord, forgive me. You use your own words, friends, but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Trust him. And he will bless you. If you're sincere and you mean it, he will bless you. He will forgive you. And he rose again on the third day. And that was a proof that his work was successful. And one day you'll be raised from the dead. Your body will be raised in glory to meet him. Of course, if you die before that great and coming day, your spirit will be with the Lord in glory. But this is the wonderful reality of coming to the Savior. Liberty from deception, from slavery of Satan, from the slavery of sin. No more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but a glorious eternity to look forward to and have your, having your Savior with you every step of the way in life. And it starts from the very, many, very moment you call upon Him salvation. Our friends, may this be your testimony. Amen. Let's turn to our last hymn, hymn number 601. Hymn number 601. I found a friend Oh, such a friend, he loved me ere I knew him.
God and our loving Heavenly Father, O Lord, how we thank Thee that Thou art indeed a pardoning God, full of grace and compassion and mercy. And we thank Thee that this is still an age of grace, and Thou art calling needy souls to Thyself. And O Lord, we do plead with Thee that even this Lord's day, they may be those who for the first time hear the voice of their beloved, even in our midst this morning. O Lord, work that mighty miracle of grace in many hearts. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.